Welcome to Passion Life Church. So glad that you're here. So glad that you're joining us online. I know that a lot is happening in this season because it's a busy season, but I got to tell you, we have to remember what the main reason for this season is, is to honor our Lord and our Savior, the King of Kings, Jesus Christ. And so I am so excited that you're in God's house today. You made time to come and you honored him. Thanks for watching today. We're so glad that you're here. You know, today we start a brand new series and uh, it's called The Gifts of the Wise Men. And I'm going to go through their gifts, and I think that it's going to bless you today. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. I love Christmas. How many of you love Christmas? I, I love Christmas. I love the decorations. I love the movies. I love the wonder. I love the sentimental feelings. I love being with my family. I love seeing the face of my son when he opens up the gift that I gave him. And then he plays with the cardboard box. Instead of the gift that I give him, how do you know what, what, what I'm talking about today? And I love all of that. But one of the things, and I think it's what I love the most, that at this time, the whole world right now is focusing on goodwill toward men. The whole world begins to put their focus on joy, joy to the world, hope, a thrill of hope. I love that. And my church family, can I just be honest? The reason that is all made possible to you and to me is that because we have a Savior that has been given to us. You know, Luke chapter 2, verse 11 says this, for there is born to you, everybody say to me, that's personal, to me this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. My church family, I'm telling you in this season, I, I just pray that we don't just celebrate the Savior, but that you and I would experience him. We were given a Savior in a baby child, but my church family, saving is what he does and he's still doing today. He is still our Savior in every area of our life. He is still saving today. How many of you have experienced his saving power I have. And as we look at this Christmas story, I think it's easy to just look and see this cute picturesque picture of a nativity of and just and gloss by it and 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 not really understand what happens or think that it's some magical thing that Disney put together. My church family, Disney could not put this together. Only God can put this together. And when we look at this Christmas story, I just want to remind us that these are real people, real lives that were changed, real sacrifices that were made, and people who really encountered and experienced God. This is what this is about. And through their obedience, they did what was spoken over their lives. The angels spoke to them, and they actually did what the angels spoke, the word of the Lord that was spoken to them. They did. And you know what? They encountered the very presence of God. And so today I want to focus on these wise men and their gifts. And why are their roles so significant? I think you're going to be blessed by this. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Have you found it? It says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men. Everybody say wise men. There became wise men from the east to Jerusalem saying, where is he born the king of the Jews? I want you to say that with me. Say king of the Jews. That's going to be important today. And it said, for we have seen his star in the east and we have come. Why did they come? Watch. To worship 
him. And when Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes and the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, and thou Bethlehem in the land of Judah art thou least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people. Then Herod went and had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently, what time did the star appear, that the star appeared? And he sent to them, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go search diligently for the young child. Everybody say young child. That's going to be important today. And when he had found them, he said, bring me word again that I may come and worship him. And when they had heard the king, they departed him and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. Somebody say joy. And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they fell down and they worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, everybody say treasures. When they opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word today. It is a lamp unto our feet. And Lord, just like you would guide the three wise men, you can guide us today. And we thank you for that. We thank you for your leading. I pray that today, This morning, you would speak to us, not only by your word, but by your spirit. Meet every person's need today by your spirit. I thank you that we have a heart that's open to you, ears to hear what you are saying today. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. You know, it's the Christmas story, and I believe it's so easy to just read these and kind of gloss over the significance of these moments in these people's lives. You know, the wise men are such a popular part of the Christmas story. You see Mary and Joseph and Jesus, and then you see shepherds, and then you see these wise men. And if I can for just a little bit, I want to give you a little bit of history. I don't believe that we should come to church and it should be a history class. That's not how, that's not my style of teaching, but I think it's appropriate sometimes to understand what we're reading and what people went through and how they got what they got. Can I hear a good amen today? And these wise men were such a popular part of the Christmas story that historians, even non-biblical historians and biblical historians studied them. And, uh, the, to the truth be known, uh, legends have grown about these men. What you find is if you study the wise men, people wanted to be associated with them. You know, the history tells us that even Marco Polo went to visit their graves because the, these men had such significance. The Bible does not mention their names, but history and those who studied history tells us in the 6th century, in the 500s, that these men were given names and descriptions. One was Malchar, and he was described as an elderly man with a long beard. Then there was Casper. He was a young, beardless Indian man. And then probably the most famous of the wise men were Balthazar, who was a black Arabian man. And I think this is all going to make sense to you in just a moment why I'm saying this. Because 
the Babylonians and the Persians actually gave these men their name. It wasn't a self-titled that they say, I am a wise man. That's not how it came about. They didn't come about looking and saying, look at me, I am so wise. It was actually a title given, listen, to rich, great, influential men. And it was given to them by the Persians and the Babylonians. In Arab, the word wise men means magi, rich, powerful, great men. And I love this as I study the Christmas story. Here's what you see. You see God drawing people to himself. Drawing people to the Savior. Who did he draw? The first people that he called to himself were the shepherds. If you know anything about shepherds, they were the low of the low. They were the lowest of the social status. They were the poor. God called the poor. But my church family, God also called the richest of the rich. He called the wise men who were great influential men. Why? Because whether you're poor or you're rich, you still need a Savior. Whether you're poor or you're rich, you still need a Savior. Now, maybe the poor may be more inclined to realize that they need a Savior opposed to someone who is rich. But let's make no mistake about it, my church family. God doesn't just love the poor. He loves the rich. Oh, come on. Say a good amen today. He loves the rich as well because they both need a Savior. He calls every one of us, every social status that somebody may have, he calls them because they need a Savior. And the Bible tells us what the motive of these wise men was. And the motive, they didn't come to see the wonder, the spectacular, the show, the angels. They didn't come to see the show. They came to worship. As a matter of fact, when they arrived, the show was all gone. History tells us that it took them two years to get from where they were in Arabia to Jerusalem. So Jesus was probably about two years old at that time. And their motive, this is so important, was to worship the king of the Jews. Why, why is that important? Because history tells us that if they were from Arabia then they would have been descendants of Ishmael. Ishmael was a descendant of Hagar. And Sarah's child was Isaac, who was the promised child, who through Isaac, the lineage of Jesus would come. And if they were indeed from Arabia, this means that they were descendants of Ishmael who were taught to hate the descendants of Isaac. Why is that important? Because here's what I realize, and it's interesting to me. It says this to me, that if you're going to encounter the Savior, if you're going to experience him the way that God wants us to experience him, there's going to be times in your life where you're going to have to confront things that were taught to you as a child. You're going to have to confront agendas. You're going to have to confront cultural ideologies. You're going to have to encounter, or excuse me, you're going to have to Confront different belief systems if you're going to experience intimacy with God. And they didn't let their background stop them from understanding that they needed a Savior. And the Bible says that they were going to worship the king of the Jews, who in reality really wasn't their king. But they made him their king. And it says, the Bible uses the word Christ, the king of the Jews. The word Christ in the Greek means the Messiah, the anointed one, and his anointed. As I kind of dug deep a little bit into this word Christ, do you know the word in the Greek actually means this, anointed and his anointing. But listen, Jesus, it says, was empowered by the Holy Spirit to accomplish all. Everybody say all. 
to accomplish all of his divine plan. I really, that merely ministered to me because God's divine plan can be accomplished, all of it. So anything in your life that you are facing, God, by the power of his Holy Spirit, can accomplish it in your life. He who began a good work in you will finish it till the day of Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody. And so they didn't allow their background. They didn't allow where they came from, a belief system that was taught to them, to stop them from worshiping the king. You know, when we talk about worship, some people could say worship is a song. Oh, Pastor Phil, I put on my favorite worship song. Do you know that it is possible today to put on your favorite worship song and not worship? Do you know that it's possible to come in this room where the presence of God is, is thick and, and not worship? And so I thought, what does it really mean to worship? Because this was their motive. Their motive was to worship. And in the Greek, in the Bible, when you look at the word worship, it means literally to kneel yourself down, to lay prostrate, prostrate on the floor in reverence. Listen to this. In homage of a person or being that is superior to you. Superior to you. My church family, can I just, with all my heart, can I tell you why some people can't worship? Because they believe that no one is superior to them. In their own mind, I call them legends in their own mind. There is not a God, they are God. I lived this way till 19 years old. I was my own savior, I was my own provider, I was my own, I did everything, right? There was nobody superior to me until at 19 years old, I caught down on my knees ready to commit suicide because I was so unfulfilled. I had nothing on the inside of me until I came to realize that he is God and I am not. But to bow to a being more superior than you. And you know what I love about this story? is that even though these wise men were foreigners, God was drawing them to himself. He was drawing them to himself. The Bible says that these messengers, that these men specialized in studying the stars. It was astronomy, not astrology. They studied the stars. And the Bible says in verse 2 that they had seen his star in the east. Now, there's a key here. I think it's so important. The wise men observed the stars, but they understood what they saw. Let me say that again. They saw the star, and then they understood what they saw. And again, here's another principle that we've been teaching in this church. God uses what you have in your hand to lead you to what he's put in your heart. God used what they already know, already knew, and was drawing them with the knowledge that they had to himself. That's what he does. But they saw the star, and they understood it. See, my church family can I just be honest with you, is that it's possible to see, but yet not understand. See, people will come to a worship service to, like today, and they will see and not understand why we are standing here with our hands lifted high. They don't understand why we are singing to, loud to our Savior, because a lack of understanding, they don't encounter the Savior the way the Savior would love for you to encounter him. Is this history okay with you this morning? It's building up to what I'm about to say. And I want to suggest something to you. It's possible to see and not understand. And here's what I want to suggest. 
I want to suggest to you that many people saw the star. Many people. It wasn't a hidden star. My church family, Herod, saw the star, but he didn't understand. The Sadducees and the Pharisees saw the star, but it did nothing for them. It's interesting to me because when you look at the nativity, I've never seen a Pharisee or a Sadducee at the nativity. You, wherever you buy your nativity at Target or Walmart, do you ever open it up and then, you know, Mary falls out. Like, oh, baby Jesus just fell out. Catch baby Jesus. Don't want him to fall, right? And then Joseph falls out and the wise men and the shepherd. Have you ever shaken the box and then a little Pharisee falls out? No, you never see a Pharisee. You know what? You never see a Sadducee at the nativity. And I have an idea why you never see a Sadducee at the nativity because they were sad you see. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees, it was their king. It was the king of the Jews. They saw the star and what would be a one day's journey for them to come down in worship, they would not do. But what three men would do for two years to come down and worship a king that was not even theirs. And they came and they worshiped him. And see, I don't want to be a person that sees but doesn't understand. And that should be our prayer. God, please don't let me go through life not understanding what I see and what you're showing me. Come on, is this good this morning? And so God was drawing them. And here's the question. Why these three gifts? Why gold? Why frankincense? Why myrrh? I'm going to tell you something. I believe that these gifts were inspired by God because God was drawing them. I also believe that the order in which they were in is inspired by God. And you're going to see that these men and the influence, man, they had a connection with God because the gifts that they brought are so significant. We're so significant. I want you to think about it. These men, rich, powerful men, could have brought anything that day to offer in worship but here's what the Bible says. Their first gift was gold. Everybody say that. Say gold. Gold. I asked myself, why gold? Why silver? And I want us to today not see and not understand. I want us to see and understand why these gifts have significance in our life. Here's what the wise men understood. If you're taking notes, write this down. If you're not taking notes, write this down. Number one, the giving of our treasure is an act of worship. Matthew chapter two, verse one says, they fell down and worshiped him. Watch this. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts. Look, so they opened their treasure. And so out of their treasure came their gift. I want to say that again. They opened their treasure, and out of their treasure came their gift. Here's what the Bible says, number two, about your treasure. Your heart picks your treasure. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21 says, For where, wherever that is, for where your treasure is, there, where, where your treasure is, where, there, where your treasure, where, there, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. So the Bible equates treasure 
and your heart. Here's the crazy thing. God allows us to pick our treasure. And whatever you pick, your heart follows. In my neighborhood, we have a lot of dogs, have a lot of, I don't know why, but can I just say a public service message to all of those that are watching? If you have a dog, please put him on a leash when you take him outside. Thank you. God bless you. I know, I know what you're going to say. My dog doesn't bite. He may not bite everybody else, but they do bite me. Can I hear a good amen today? And it's because they love some of this Puerto Rican food. Anyway, we will continue. Arroz con Felipe. Come on. We have a lot of dogs. And in our neighborhood, we have some people who named their dog Pablo. And so they love Pablo. And they attribute human characteristics to Pablo because Pablo is their treasure. And so they tell Pablo, Pablo, would you like to go get a vanilla ice cream cone from McDonald's with your daddy? And Pablo the dog looks at his father and says, you're my daddy? You don't look like me, but listen, I will go with you, daddy, if you let me sit on your lap while you drive the car to McDonald's. And daddy says, come on, Pablo. And he gets Pablo in the car and puts Pablo on his lap while he's driving to McDonald's. And the other day I was driving down the road and I looked and I looked and I said, oh my gosh, I saw a full blown poodle driving a car. And I had to do a double take because I was on an antibiotic. So I was like, oh my goodness, I don't know what this doctor gave to me, but the next thing I think I'm going to sing peak elephants or something. But I looked over there and then finally I saw the little girl's face and she was driving her car in the driver's seat on her lap was her full-blown poodle. You know what that told me? That she cares more about her poodle than the other people like me who are on the road because her poodle is her treasure. Pablo and daddy get to McDonald's and daddy goes through the drive through and gets that mm, so delicious ice cream comb. They pull off to the side and Pablo, the dog is in daddy's lap and he holds out the ice cream comb. And from this side, Pablo begins to eat and slurp the ice cream cone. And on the other side, daddy begins to eat and slurp from the same cone. And then daddy, there is some that begins to drip down daddy's mouth. And Pablo loves his father so much that he begins to lick daddy's face because he does not want to waste any vanilla ice cream. And daddy and Pablo are enjoying an incredible moment because you know why? Because Pablo is daddy's treasure. And then we will walk into a moment like today, a worship service where the presence of God is being manifested and there's miracle working power in the atmosphere. And we will stand and look at the screen and say, that's beautiful. I've never seen a man, a full blown man, including my son, watch football 
and watch the screen and go, wow, that's amazing. I've never seen a woman, including my wife, stare at a diamond and go, wow, that's pretty. As a matter of fact, when we saw the diamond that she wanted me to buy, come on, somebody, she saw it. I almost fainted. I'm going to have a new shirt. It says, hashtag, I need an usher behind me because I almost fell out in the spirit. I've never seen a man look at a treasure, which is his football team, and stand on the couch and just go, wow. No, as a matter of fact, they are up. They are passionate. They are talking to the TV. When women, listen, when they see that diamond, oh, my gosh, it's so beautiful. Yeah, that's because when we see our treasure and the things that we pick as our treasure, there's emotion. There's passion. So you can't tell me that when you come into a worship service and you just look at the screen that Jesus is your treasure. Because when you have a treasure, it does something to you. There's passion. Can I hear a good amen? And here's what God says. He says, you get to pick your treasure, and I'd want for you to pick me because I'm drawing you to an experience that you can have like no other, but you're going to have to pick him as the treasure. And that's what these wise men did. They were saying by their sacrifice of two years, as they bowed down and worshiped him, Jesus, you are our treasure. You are our treasure. And then they put their gold in front of him. Let's talk about the value of gold. Let's talk about gold a little bit. You know, there's been wars that have been fought over gold. You know, men have betrayed other men over gold. Do you know that men have killed other men over gold? Some people have lost their family over gold. Do you know that some will lose their health over gold. Others will lose their sanity over gold. That's why the Bible says, what profits you a man if you gain the whole world? You have all the gold, but you can't think straight, and you lose your soul. My church family, let's go deeper. For some, gold has become their identity. What they have, they equate to their value. It's gold. It's gold. You know, the Bible says, 1 Timothy 6.10, for the love of money, the love of gold, watch this, is the root. Everybody say root. The root of all evil. In other words, look, it starts small. It's not money that's the root of all evil. It's the love of it. Look, it says it starts small as a root, but then eventually what it does it is the root of all evil. So it touches everything in your life, which watch this. Some have coveted after and they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through many sorrows. So watch this for some, because of the love of their money, for the love of their gold, watch they, they replaced God with their gold for their security. So here's what happened when they do that. They ended up leaving the faith. The Bible says this, that they were pierced with many sorrows. In other words, their life ended in pain. That gold has the power, has the power to lead you astray from God if you love it. You know what's interesting about loving money is that money never loves you back. (laughs) Have you noticed that? It never loves you back. And for some, 
with gold, it doesn't matter how much they have, they always want more. And my church family, it's not just poor people that struggle with money or gold. Do you know rich people struggle with it too? Come on, let me hear you say a good amen. It's interesting. Do you know that money, though, is not, and gold is neutral? The same money that I have in my pocket, I can use today to gamble it away, or I can put it in the offering. I can use the money today to go buy something from Lowe's, or I can buy you dinner today. It's neutral. It just depends on what your heart is at. I always say this, money or gold makes you more of what you already are. Makes you more of what you already are. And for some, and you know, there's only two scriptures in the Bible that talk about that have a root. It's, the, it's money is, the love of money is the root of all evil and bitterness has a root. But why is money, why is the Bible say the love of money? Why is it money? Because I'm gonna tell you, what money tries to do in gold is it tries to become your security. Now listen, I'm not an idiot. I know we need gold. I know we need money. We've got to pay our bills. But for some, they've abandoned the faith because their security is now money. My church family, I wonder why so many Christians struggle with finances. Could it be that we've substituted God for gold? There are some of you right now, man, you're like, oh, Phil, this is a great message. I need some gold. Today's going to bless you. Because can I just tell you, God doesn't want us to worship gold. He actually created gold. God doesn't want you to worship money. He wants you to have money. He wants you to have gold, but he doesn't want gold to have your heart because it will destroy you. I'm talking about gold today. Do you know the Bible in the Old Testament talks about gold? The Bible talks about the children of Israel, that um, God, when they came out of Egypt, you know what? They came out of Egypt with gold. They crossed through the Red Sea. God did miraculous things in their life. And then Moses goes up on Mount Sinai, and then he is getting the Ten Commandments, and God says, you need to look down there. Watch this. God says, you need to look. Moses, look at the people. Watch. They are corrupting themselves. Moses comes down, and he sees people naked, right? And they are dancing around a golden calf. He gets so upset, he breaks the tablets. He goes down there, and he begins to talk to them, and then here's what he does. He actually gets the golden calf and he puts it in the fire and then it becomes powder. Now, I ask this question. All right, we're talking about gold here today. Why a golden calf? And this is what was interesting. Because they were slaves for many years in Egypt, did you know that the Egyptians worshipped cows. They worshipped, they had a god, his name was Epsis, and he was a golden calf. Now listen, before we say, oh, this is, this is, this is, come on, Phil, this, this is, this is insulting my intelligence. For you, it's not a golden calf. For you, it may be your greatest sports team. For you, it may be your job. This is just so happens to be visible. And but here's what they believe. The Egyptians actually believed that the cow was a source of strength and provision. So in Egypt, listen, they actually believed that the cow, watch, was a source of life. 
for them. So the spirit of Ephesus was sent to be present on the body of a cow. And so what they did is Pharaoh's priests begin to raise these cows. And if you ate the cow, the spirit of Ephesus was said to be present in their body to come on your body. Why? So you would have a source of life and you would have provision. And it was also connected to deity because it was said it was a symbol of kingship because Pharaoh had that spirit on him. And so when they began to worship this golden calf, they were worshiping gold. And so when Moses, this is so, man, when I was studying this, I was like, man, this is, oh man, Lord, help me explain this. But when Moses, what he did was he took the golden calf and he put it in the fire. Can I just tell you, whatever you worship, if it doesn't come out of the fire, it's not worse. It's not worth worshiping. It disseminated in the fire. Everything they worship was gone in a moment. It's interesting. We can worship money. I was talking to somebody this last week and they were telling me how the last two years they lost thousands of dollars in their 401k. Thousands like this in the fire. Gone. Gone. And so what Moses does is he puts it in the fire and it turns into powder. And then he tells the children of Israel, here is the powder of gold and he put it in the water and you are welcome to drink of the gold powder. Theologians believe that Moses was testing them to see if they wanted to drink of the gold water because then he knew whose heart would be with God and whose heart would not. And so the children of Israel, some of them, not all of them, began to drink the gold powder. Began to drink because they thought in drinking the gold powder that they would have provision. Isn't that how we do sometimes in our life? We think by worshiping money that money is our provision. My church family, here's what I learned from this. You will always drink of the well of what you worship from. And you know what the Bible says? Those that drank the gold water all died and never made it to the promised land. Worship gold. You know what's funny is when I was reading this, I was reminded what God said. He said, I own the cattle on a thousand hills. You're worshiping a cow? I've got millions of them. But why are you worshiping the cow and not worshiping the God who can give you the very cows and the one who created the cows? Can I hear a good amen today? But our focus is off. My focus is off. Pastor Phil, I need gold. No, you need an encounter with God because God has the gold. Are you ready for this? There's another mention of gold in the Old Testament. Watch this. This really, really encouraged me. There's a scripture in Genesis chapter 2, verse 11, when God created Adam. He took Adam because there's different rivers in the Garden of Eden. He took Adam down the river that led to gold. God put gold in the earth. My church family, God can give you and show you where the gold is at. God's not against you having gold. He made gold. God has so much gold that when you and I go to heaven, there's going to be cities of gold. God has so much gold left over from the cities of gold that you and I are going to walk on the streets of gold. Gold is nothing to God. I loved in the 80s because we had all these rappers like with gold teeth. I'm like, that's cool. You got a piece of God's payment in your mouth. You got God's pavement right here. It's gold. But we're going to walk on, on streets of gold. 
Now, I think, this is my personal opinion, when God was showing Adam, like, hey, Adam, here's the gold. Here's where it's at. I don't think Adam was interested in it, but I think God was like, Adam, I'm showing you where the gold is because I'm about to create Eve, and she wants to know where the gold is. Come on, ladies, I gave you a good opportunity to say amen, and you didn't take it. I can't wait for you. God showed Adam where the gold is. My church family, if you'll seek after God, he can show you where the gold is. He can show you what opportunity to take. He can show you as a business person what client to say yes to and what client to say no to. Why? Because he's the God who can show his children where the gold is. He can show you where the opportunities are at. Can I hear a good amen today? But what we do is we seek the gold instead of seeking God. And he showed Adam where the gold was. You know, as I close today, the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament was a piece of wood. And in that piece of wood, they would carry this because as they would travel, it represented the presence of God. And wood always represents humanity. And so in the Ark of the Covenant was Moses's 10 tablets which was the law, and the law always reminds us of our humanity. The purpose of the law, and the only purpose of the law, is to show you that you need a Savior. That's the only purpose of the law. Can I hear a good amen? The law tells you don't commit adultery, but the law doesn't tell you to love your wife. It tells you what not to do. It exposes humanity. So in the Ark of the Covenant, it's covered with wood, right? And then in it is the Ten Commandments that reminds us of our humanity. Watch this. But then it's covered in gold. Everybody say gold. Because gold also represents deity. It represents deity. So here's what the Ark of the Covenant tells us that us as humans, God always knew that we would need a savior. That represents the wood of the ark. But then God would cover us with gold, the gold that is on the ark of the covenant. You know that the top of the ark of the covenant with the wings is called the mercy seat. God would know that with his deity, his goal was always to cover a sinful humanity with his mercy. You can seek after gold, but that's not going to save you. It was always always God's intent for him to be your savior. And not just on Christmas, but in every area of your life, it's been God's design to cover you. You need provision today? Seek God. He'll cover you. You don't have to. Everybody look at me. You don't have to work four jobs and lose your family for gold. The Bible says, the blessing of the Lord maketh rich, and it adds no sorrow to it. So when I seek after God and understand that I'm blessed, I can be blessed in every area of my life. I don't have to lose my health. I don't have to lose my faith. I don't have to lose my family. But my church family, a lot of us are so preoccupied with gold, we're losing a lot more than we think. Here's number three as I close. So when God becomes your ultimate treasure, our hearts become unlocked to experience him and receive from him. When your number one goal is gold, you are holding back aspects of your heart and you will not encounter intimacy with God. And here's what I found. The areas of your life 
that you hold back will end up holding you back from intimacy with God. For some people, the only reason why they can't encounter God, and listen, I'm saying this as a pastor, let me pass to you. Some of you in this room, even when we're worshiping, it's tough because you're so focused on your bills. You're so focused on the gold. How is it going to happen? What do I need to do? Can I just tell you, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added unto you. Seek the God and he will seek our God and he will show you where the gold is. This is why what these three wise men did is so significant. This is why what these three wise men today, we are giving because of their legacy. My church family, when they came to Jesus, they bowed down and they got their gold and they put it in front of him. And this is what they were saying. You are superior to us. We are great men of great influence, great stature, but you are superior to us. And this gold that we lay down is not our greatest treasure. Jesus, you are our greatest treasure. Mind you, it's a two-year-old child. And these men are bowing down in worship saying this and our gold, all that we have is not our greatest treasure. Even if I have achieved it in my business savvy and all the things that I have done to gain this gold, it is not my greatest treasure. Jesus, you are my greatest treasure. When you say that, you experience levels of intimacy with God that once you do it, it's addictive. You don't want anything else to rule your heart but him. If God doesn't rule your heart, does it hurt God's heart? Yes. But the person it hurts the most, like God told Moses, is they are corrupting themselves. It's not the devil. It's not society. It's my choice of my treasure. This is why they were called wise men. Because they knew who their greatest treasure was. In my church family, I prayed this week because this is a breakthrough message. When you talk about gold and people's money, people are like, I know. Because gold might be your greatest treasure. But when we talk about gold, it should be Lord you are my greatest treasure. Have whatever you want because you own the cattle on a thousand hills. And many people don't encounter God like they should simply because Jesus is not their ultimate treasure. I want to close with this number four. And the impact of worship is always joy. Can I hear a great amen? Matthew chapter two, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with great joy. My church family, I'm going to tell you about these wise men. They won the battle of gold and they presented it at Jesus's feet. The Bible says, I have never seen 
the righteous forsaken, nor its seed, your children, beg for bread. You are not a child that needs to beg and work and slave for gold. We are a servant of the mighty God who God provides all of our needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Can we today give the Lord a great round of applause of worship today because he is our greatest treasure. Can you do that? Come on, would you stand with me today? All right, I did that. You know how it is? You know how hard it is to talk to people about their money? The only thing worse is to talk to people about their dogs. It's the only thing worse in California. I'm playing with you. I want you to bow your heads this morning as we pray. You know, sometimes we come to church to be comforted, and that's important. But there's other times that we come to church to be challenged, and today's definitely one of those messages. And believe me, as I'm preaching, I'm searching my own heart to see what my heart has been attached to. And I could know that after many years of just searching my own heart, the things, and when my hearts are attached to the wrong things, my life doesn't go in the correct direction. What I've found is that when Jesus is your true treasure, there is joy. You're not exhausted all the time. You're not depleted all the time. Some of us are just stressed out because we're trying to find out where the gold is and how we're going to make it. And I'm going to tell you today in the loving pastoral leadership today that if you'll seek God, he will show you where the gold is. God has jobs for you that you don't even know about. If you'll seek him, he'll show you where the gold is at. He wants you to be blessed. He wants you to be prosperous. Why? So you can be generous for his kingdom. And today with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to say two prayers. But this first one, I just want you to allow the Holy Spirit to illuminate. For some of you, it's not gold. For some of you, your greatest treasure is a person. Maybe a person you're holding on to. Maybe it's a hurt. Isn't it kind of crazy how we can be hurt and then our hurt can become our greatest treasure that we're just holding on to and, and nursing it and rehearsing it. And, and today, I want this season for you to experience the Savior in every aspect of your life, financially, spiritually. But you know what? You're going to have to give all of your heart. You know, the Bible says we're to love God with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, our emotions, our body. He wants all. And I'll tell you, when you give him all, you begin to experience what God wants for your life. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Lord, today, this season, where we look at the Christ, you coming to the world as our Savior, may we be like these wise men and declare that today, God, you are our greatest treasure. You are our greatest treasure. That you so loved us that you sent your son into the world and you gave. Our gift is our treasure. And Lord, I pray that today that we would repent if we've been so focused on provision, other things to be our source, that we've allowed that to become our security, God. Today, we want to focus on you. 
Here's our heart, God, all of it. We want to experience true, intimate worship with you. Today we bow, and like these wise men, we say, you are superior to us. Come on, if you believe that, would you just raise both of your hands in worship to say, God, you are superior to me. And yet you love me, and you sent your son to die on the cross for me. And so today, Lord, we kneel our hearts to you in worship. Thank you. Right now, as your hands are raised, God's healing people's hearts. I believe right now that even physical diseases are disappearing in the presence of God. It's amazing what will happen when we worship him, when we give him our all. God has opportunities for you. God has doors that he can open for us, my church family, that no man can shut. See, here's the reality about the gold calf. If man can build it, man can tear it down. But when God builds it, no one can tear it down. And so we honor you. We praise you. Keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. You can put your hands down if you like or if you want to keep worshiping. I want to say another prayer. Maybe you're watching here today or maybe you came. I don't believe it's a coincidence that you're watching or you're here. The Savior is drawing you to himself. No matter what walk of life, rich, poor, doesn't matter the color of your skin, God is drawing you to himself. And here's what he wants you to do. Open up your heart and say, God, you are superior to me. Forgive me of all of my sins. That's why God sent his son, the Savior came, to die on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins so you and I could have an intimate, passionate relationship with Jesus and he can be our greatest treasure. And if you've never asked him to come inside your heart, he only comes when he's invited. He'll draw you, but you have to say, you're gonna be my treasure. And today I'd like to pray. I'd like to pray for those who aren't born again, who haven't received Jesus. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you ever ask Jesus to come inside your heart, would you repeat after me? Passion Life Church, would you say this as well? I don't want them to feel like they're alone. If you're watching, say it right where you're at. Say, Father God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die on the cross for me. Today I repent. I turn from my sin. And I receive your forgiveness. And Jesus, I confess you as my Lord and my Savior in Jesus' mighty name. Amen, amen. Come on, let's give all of them that prayed that prayer a great round of applause. Would you be seated just for a couple more moments? Listen, if you prayed that prayer, we want to know. Can you just text BELIEVE to 951 382 5757? It says 282 there, but it's 382 57. 57. We'd like to know that today you became a child. Of Thank you for listening today. We hope that you were encouraged and uplifted by today's message. For more information about Passion Life Church, visit us online at passionlifechurch.com.